Alright, hello listeners, my name is Olumide Ajayi and uh, welcome to my podcast. Uh, okay, a little bit about myself, I'm um, a first year student of the uh, Department of Language and Literacy Education, University of Georgia, and uh, I'm a PhD student. Uh, on this podcast, this particular one, I'll be sharing with you guys on how some particular particular policies impact the the, uh, achievement of students in schools generally. And when I'm talking about achievement, I'm talking about uh, achievement in either uh, primary schools, secondary schools, or the university level so i'm talking about achievements generally and so uh, i have three people who will be doing these discussions with me but first of all uh this i'm in a class that is around that talk that is currently discussing how social policies affect students achievement in schools and all those things but this particular podcast will be related to how language policies affect students' performances in school. And so that's what I will be doing for for this talk. And uh, the three people who are going to be speaking with me are great minds. They are also students from the University of Georgia. They will be explaining from their own personal experiences what they think and how they feel policies like these have impacted students' performances in school. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this particular episode and uh, thank you. So, the first person I will be calling on is uh, a master student in social works and I will be asking her a couple of questions and she is going to be responding. First of all, I will let her talk about herself what she does and whatever she wants you to know before i start asking her questions so batsy can you t- introduce yourself yeah, well like olumide said my name is batsy smart and i'm getting my master's in social work uh it's my second year i graduate in just a few weeks uh my areas of interest are mostly sexual assault and domestic violence uh, so just in general, I think people who've experienced any sort of intimate partner or sexual trauma or violence of any sort, and hopefully I can do careers in that field um, and go on to do international social work. Yeah. Thank you for that short introduction. Yes. I'll be asking you about your experience in social works because you just told us you do work in that area mm-hmm. and attending college in the u.s i know you attended college in here in the u.s yes and relating with friends who have who can be categorized as being in being minority in the in the u.s context so right. how how do you think language policies have affected them either positively or negatively, like language policies in schools? Um, Well, I, of course, I'm from Nigeria. I identify as a minority in the U.S. because um, 
we're international students and for the most part that's what we are and i had a lot of friends who were from other countries um countries in africa countries in asia you know from all over um just the international students community and to be honest i don't know too much about specific language policies but i know that language is something that is important and for a lot of people was a barrier in how they um you know communicated with other students or professors but even in how they interacted in class how they participated or didn't participate um i had some friends who had to go through the i think it's called ELS the english lab um so they're not you know native english speakers and coming to the US before they could officially start attending college they had to go through the english lab um and i think it's it's wonderful it's a good thing for of course students to have you know to help them have a better experience and actually understand what is being said in class to where they can you know engage ask questions and answer questions and actually get their money's worth for their tuition um but just thinking about the overall context um and just the overall reality you know of people should i say being forced to learn english is is quite interesting because yes it is a universal language um but i don't think there's as much emphasis you know on people in the us when they go to other countries to learn those languages as well um english is almost seen as superior um and i don't know that the same should i say respect or attention is always paid to other languages Hmm. interesting interesting discussions and points you've raised here uh while uh while going to school and relating with all of these your friends that you noticed had some of this uh language challenge and you felt it might not be totally fair to them learning and all learning using an all english instruction Do you think the English language only medium of instruction used in most high schools in the US is effective or would you recommend providing minority students with additional language support to improve their performances based off of what you what some of your friends experience and what you know uh, I think that that would actually be lovely I think if there are more options but I understand you know this idea that oh if someone is choosing to come to the US and they kind of know what they're signing up for for instance if i chose to go to russia you know to further my studies i i would know right that i should probably be taking russian classes so i could understand what's been said and things of that nature but i think having that option um for students who for instance students who speak portuguese you know i know there's already spanish here in the US but for the most part Spanish or French or languages like that that are a little bit more globalized than some other languages for the most part they are taught in language classes so you speak Spanish in a Spanish class um i had a classmate who he's american but he actually attended i think it's called an immersion school in new orleans and the curriculum was in french and he speaks english and he's an american citizen um but i thought that there was always something very interesting about him just he seemed to have a more 
um, fluid approach to education that I think was because he had the opportunity to learn, you know, things like math, English, science, all of that in another language. And I think minority students having that option would actually improve their performances. Like even if they were learning English, you know, still having that option to learn in their language, not just when they're in a Spanish class or a French class. Um, I could only see that being a positive thing, honestly. Really interesting. Thank you for noting that. All right, that leads me to another question I would like to ask. Uh, I know you didn't go through high school here, but while you are in college here in the U.S., did, can, is there any time you could recall that you had a language challenge or any that any of your friends shared with you? And if you did, what do you think would have helped you? Or how do you think you could have navigated it? Or what do you think, what kind of support do you think you could have had and would have eased the stress you had then? Hmm. I think I definitely had language challenges, which is so interesting to say because embarrassingly, the first language I learned was English. And I say embarrassingly because I wish I would have learned my native language or at least spoken that more growing up. Um, It's something that I'm proud of and it's something I wish I was more fluent in. Um, But for someone who grew up speaking English, that was my first language. Um, And while it's not my native language, it's the official language in Nigeria. Um, Coming to the U.S., it just, I had, there were times where my American friends definitely reminded me that English and English are not the same. And I know that for the most part, um, we speak British English, but I think just the way that I would pronounce things. Um, I remember playing, we were playing a game one time with some of my friends and I picked the card and I said, Oven. And they were like, what? And I said, oven, <laughs> like what you used to bake. And they're like, oh, oven. <laughs> I was just like, but you understood what I said, correct? In the same game, I said oregano. And they're like, huh? And I was like, the herb, the, the leaf. And they were like, oregano. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I just couldn't understand. It's oh like, God. okay you know that I am not American. You know that I grew up speaking British English. You know that I am from another country, but you can understand me, but somehow you still feel the need to spell out the differences in our English. And some people found it interesting and others did it in a really offensive way. And I just kept thinking in my head, if I was to critique the way that an American spoke, even the way that you write some of your English, it's just not correct. And so, you know, this idea that there's superior and there's inferior English just by basis of where we place, you know, emphasis on a word or intonation when we're using the same word in the same context. Um, I found that so interesting. I couldn't even imagine what my friends who weren't really fluent English speakers faced. I... I don't know when things like that would happen to me i'd feel so humble because i'm like i think i speak english pretty okay and these people still have the hardest time you know understanding me and sometimes it was very frustrating and i i don't know as a resource i don't really know like 
I don't know. I'm lucky to where those things don't really affect me, and I'd be slightly irritated, but that would be it. Um, but I think for other students, the resource should be for Americans. I think there needs to be more learning and more exposure for them to know that your language isn't superior just because that is the only language. Like that is what you grew up speaking doesn't mean that yours is correct and there is no other correct version. The fact that there are different, there are variations of English is what makes us the dictionary say British English, American English, where sometimes there are you, there's a you in labor in America, there's no you, or the way that you write check, you know, somebody who's British can look at that and say that's wrong, but you wouldn't agree because that's just the like, way that you were taught and it doesn't mean it's wrong, it's just different. So I think there should be more sensitization <laughs> for Americans and just letting them know like you're not superior to any other person. Um, you should be learning, you should be respecting and learning other people's languages the way that you expect them to learn yours. The the responsibility of understanding in a conversation shouldn't always be on the foreigner. You know, I should want to understand you as much as you should want to understand me. And I shouldn't have to apologize because I'm struggling to, you know, say something in a way that you understand. And I think it was... Um, Miss Robin, she works, um, she's, I think, the director of the Office of Global Engagement. She said once that she would be talking to students and they would be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I know you can't understand me. And she said, I always feel the need to apologize to them that I don't understand them and it shouldn't be the other way around. Um, I think that's the support, honestly, um, just the way that we're taught in our countries or to be able to engage in more global conversations, you should learn English. Americans should also be taught that to be able to engage in more global conversations, they should learn other people's languages or at least be more tolerable um, of them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Matze. I mean, there's, there's just there's so much to learn from what you just said. And uh, it's really interesting because all four of us here, we are... We can be we are considered minority in the u.s context and so at some point or the other we have gone through all of this and uh, we are actually in the best place to to disc- to talk about this and to let people know that these are some of the things we go through and uh, you wouldn't imagine what kids in high school classrooms go through with their friends and and talking about all of those variations in vocabulary, talking about accentuations, prosody, all of those things, they're really important. You, they might not be measurable in terms of uh, distinguishing if they are contributing to achievement gaps or not, but uh, they could be, they, they, they could affect kids mentally, they could contribute to uh, stress and all of that. So it's important for us to take note of all of this. So I really appreciate your time, but say thank you. All right. Uh, uh, I think I'm just going to proceed because of my time. Uh, I'm not going to take a break. Uh, thank you. So Batsy has just spoken and we have gotten all what she wants to say to us and we appreciate that. Perhaps we will see her sometimes on subsequent episodes. But yeah, she has said she she has told us what she feels. The next person here is a, a seasoned educator, 
uh, she's from South Africa, the country of South Africa, and she will be sharing with us uh, what language policies looks like from a South African context. Uh, this this episode, I believe, is going to be more balanced if we hear from different contexts and see how people relate with some of these things. And so, she's going to tell us about herself and what she does for research. Hello, Miss Jackie. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. All right. Do you want to tell us about yourself? Let let our listeners meet you and know what you do for research. Uh, I am from South Africa. I'm an elementary school teacher. I'm currently doing my master's, finishing my master's in education, um, majoring in TESOL and world language education. My area of interest is about... Um, language education, especially at the elementary school in South Africa, because um, I've seen that there are certain problems that have to do with policy and policy implementation that hold children back. So uh, that's an area that I'm researching. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Uh, So my first question to you, I haven't listened to Batse talk about the U.S. context and all of that. I'm sure there are perhaps similarities or differences we can draw, considering the unique uniqueness of South Africa and all that we know about that country, especially the language situation in that country. What does language policy look like in most K-12 settings in your country, and how does it affect minority groups? Um, it's, I mean, South Africa is a very interesting. It's a very interesting situation because even though we cannot accept, um, you know, the kind of treatment that Batse, um receives from, you know, Americans uh, saying she's not speaking proper American English, and I just like him, you know, I like her ideological um, thinking about who actually needs support. That you know, it's actually the listener that needs to be able to listen to all accents and understand it, that the owners um, for understanding, for interaction should not only be, you know, on the other person. So, but, you know, having said that, you know, English is dominant in, in, in the U.S. because the majority of um, Americans speak American English. Um, in South Africa, it's a very, you know, it's an anomaly because South Africa is a multilingual country and um, only about 10% of the population of South Africa have English as their home language. But English is the language of education. English is the language of business. It's the most dominant dominant, um, language. So it's not actually minorities, your your typical minorities that are disadvantaged by the dominance of English. It's people who, who, you know, bigger numbers of people, but they're minoritized because uh, English is more valued. And the education policy continues uh, to kind of reproduce the the dominance of English. So um, that's that's the situation. In terms of policy, we have like amazing laws in South Africa. We have the constitution, which says everyone has a right to their home la- uh, to their home language. We have eleven official languages. So you know you have a right to use your language in education and business everywhere. That's what the constitution says. 
the language in education policy says uh, parents can decide which language uh, their children should be taught as long as there's in a school there's about the five learners uh, who want to be taught in a particular language that can happen. But this policy was promulgated in 1997. It's now 2021 and we still have the um, education practice that comes from the old apartheid days where you have uh, children in public schools starting the first three grades of their education in their home language and then from grade four onwards they switch to english and then from uh from grade four to uh, grade 12 they're learning in english it's a huge problem uh first of all grade four is when you go into um lower elementary school so you move from the foundation phase to lower elementary school that's where you get introduced to all the content subjects natural sciences social sciences mathematics you know um and all those things are introduced in English, a language that you are not, you know, you don't have so much competence in because in the earlier grades, you're just being taught literacy, you know, like uh, the alphabet, you know, the formation of words, uh, phonetics and that stuff. And at grade four, when all that new knowledge is being introduced, is introduced in a language that's not your home language. It causes huge achievement gaps, low achievements, um, we had a study that showed that about 78% of South African children, that was in 2016, 78% of South African children could not read for meaning in any language, not only English. And we know that those problems are caused by a poor foundation in home language and then a dramatic switch to grade four, you know, uh, into, into English. That just happens with no planning of support for all the kids. So. Um, low reading proficiency rates poor performance overall throughout school even up to university and uh high school dropout rates and we can all link them to it uh, to, to language and education oh my goodness and and this is this is what this discussion is really all about how all these policy initiatives how they contribute to socioeconomic disparities dropouts high dropout rates and achievement gaps and i i know i know uh the situation of south africa it's a little bit similar to what's here in the u.s and because of the disparities between uh, two major demographics the whites and the blacks and all of that all of them that comes down into policy making and housing situations and all of that so thank you for providing that rich and interesting background uh, before i come to you for the next question i would like to go a little bit to the next uh scholar here uh his name is bukumi ogunshola he's a he's a phd student at the department of language and literacy education here at the University of Georgia. I would like him to bear his mind. Uh, first of all, Bukumi, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what you do for research? All right, thank you for inviting me. So, I'm Bukumi, Bukushala, um, first year PhD student, literally, uh, one language education. Um, I've been interested in endangered languages and, you know, documenting endangered languages and working in 
rural communities and so that drew my attention to literacy practices in those communities and um, as well as I have interest in dyslexia and reading abilities, how reading is developed in kids. That's the kind of research and orientation I'm telling to Alright, thank, thank you for that brief introduction. Uh, I know in your capacity as a researcher, I know you have traveled uh, far and wide and you have related with a lot of people and you are Nigerian. So I want you to give our listeners a little bit of context of how the language policy situation looks like in Nigeria. Uh, especially in the K to 12, the primary through secondary school context, and uh, I also know, understand Nigeria also has an interesting linguistic situation. So, uh, please tell us something. Yeah, thank you for your question. Yeah, so Niger- the linguistic situation in Nigeria is a bit similar to that of uh, South Africa, Miss Jackie said. Uh, so there are several languages. Some statistics gives about 500, and of these 500, there are regionally some are recognized and more of a lingua franca within some ethnic groups and within their region. So you have three of such, and aside that there are some other group of languages which some would classify as minor. So the first category might be major, while the next is minor, and. Interesting, Nigeria has a language policy on education that says for the first three years of education, children should be taught in any of the three major languages, Igbo, Hausa, or Yoruba, and the language of immediate community. So that leaves a kind of course that is a little bit difficult to interpret. And so you have kids who are in certain communities where in neither of the three languages is dominant or teachers to teach those languages are not available and then you, the next pick is okay language of immediate environment so you look at language of immediate environment and these are communities that do not even agree for some other languages to be used within school above theirs. So I'll give an example of a community, maybe two actually, but the first one is located between Nigeria and Cameroon border. And so Fufude is predominantly within that part of the country. But these people would not support that their kids are taught Fufude in school, neglecting theirs. Because Fufude, for instance, seem to have a right written tradition, but their language do not have. And so it's easier to accommodate within educational policy a language that has already been codified as opposed to DS. So, but for language, um, uh, what would I call it? What's that word now? But for, for, for solidarity towards their language, they prefer that okay if you cannot use our language because you say there are no materials it's not being codified and all of that then 
just leave our children to learn English. <laughs> and don't introduce Fufude to them because of ethnic and tribal uh, realities that comes with language. And you know, languages are always matters of art. So that's on one side. And there, there are a lot of communities with such things. So you have, for instance, Nigeria is divided into states. You have a state, and in a single state, you have over 74 different speech forms spoken. So a, single, a local government, for instance, might have different speech forms, language or dialect. And so in such a state, neither outside Yoruba or Igbo is spoken. So what, which language? would be chosen as the language of immediate environment when you have multiplicity of languages within such context. So that creates a problem, a bit of a drag in implementing such policy. And to further say the policy, so the policy stage, you start them out in Igbo, Yoruba, Hausa, or a language of immediate environment for the first three years. And at the end, by the fourth year, you transition to English language, so they pick on the English at that point. Hmm. It's such a complex situation in Nigeria. The, the language situation is so complex, especially uh, in all the regions. But from what you said now, I'm just going to direct another question straight to you, Bukumi. Do you think the complex nature of language policies in Nigeria, in Nigerian schools, how do you think it impacts students' performances? And do you think it contributes to inequality or injustices or socioeconomic disparities? Uh, perhaps within that area, within that region. Oh, so how, how, how do you reconcile that? Thank you. It contributes to a lot of things. Okay. And that's because for some kids, they arrive to, in school to meet a, an entirely different language. Okay. So a child speaks language A, for instance, with his dad and mom, or perhaps speaks two different languages to his dad and mom, speaks another language in the community. And so gets into school to meet an entirely different language. So one, the child is both learning the language for communication and at the same time acquiring literacy, reading, writing, numeracy and hope simultaneously. So that creates both a lot of problems for the child. Although this might, you might say, is a continuum in terms of moving from rural environment to an urban environment, the, the spread might differ because for a kid who is in an urban setting, might have the advantage of parents or home setting that make use of the language of school, that is the medium of communication, medium of instruction, English, for instance, is both used at home and in school. And that, for instance, might be an instance of our first speaker, Basic, 
Moses, she acquired English before even her mother tongue. So, our situation, for instance, will be such that home language supports the medium of instruction used in school. So, for such an individual, I mean, you were, such an individual would definitely has chances of performing better and uh, and uh, would get along quickly and more easily compared to someone who is from a whole lot of a different kind of background or surgery. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it, it does answer my question. Thank you, Bukumi. And uh, 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 for for uh, Miss Jackie, uh, she has answered the third question while reacting to the second question. So uh, I'm going to ask her, since it is obvious there, there are socio-economic disparities based on the choice of uh, language used as medium of instructions in South Africa, what are some of the solution, solutions you will think can help language policy experts mitigate these challenges uh, having seen all of these problems that we have you are mute you are mute yeah thank you sorry uh, just to go back to to the example of bad say that we could just elaborated upon um you know it may sound like an ideal situation which is a similar situation that my son was in my son went to english immersion school but it results in language loss. It results in the loss of your own language, which is a huge loss. I mean, she did say herself that she wishes she were more, in, uh, she, she were more uh, fluent in her in home language. So sometimes, you know, um, for I suppose instrumental reasons of, of of language use, we need to we make certain sacrifices. Which um, you know, if a child wants to regain the language, they can try. But other times, it gets very difficult. And if we get more and more of those. Uh, is coming from uh, middle class losing languages, then we definitely um, well on our way to losing our languages. But that was just um, an aside. So you know, for me, I mean, the, the policy in South Africa is it's fine. We don't need to change the policy. What we need is to implement the policy. Um, but you know, the the government is dragging its feet because if you ask them now, they'll say no. But parents are, are choosing English. You know. Um, there was a survey in 20, I think 2011 uh, or 2016 where parents, it was just a household survey. So among the, you know, hundreds of questions that households were asked, uh, they asked them, would you prefer your child to learn in English or in their home language? And parents just said English. You know, that that, uh, that statement, oh, what are they going to do with Yoruba in America? What are they going to do with Igbo in, 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 in England? And my question to them is that, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't uh, do well in their home languages, what are the chances, especially given their social economic condition, what are the chances of even going to America, for example? You know, first they must get a good education. But uh, the problem is that it's always. Sorry, I need to, to get my charger. Um, so the problem is that you know English is always associated with uh, with access to to resources and, and everything, and that's how it is. But what parents don't know is for you to to be competent in English, you know, um, without the subtractive way where you lose your language, is to have a good foundation um, 
of, of, of your home language on which you can build uh, the, the learning of a second language. You know, otherwise your English won't be great. You don't take it to America. You don't pass the GRE <laughs> with a kind of English that's provided, especially in, in public schools. So um, what we need to do is to make sure that policy is implemented. I went to school during apartheid. I stayed um, longer learning in my home language. And that is why my English is better. I mean, people who went to school in my generation, if you compare, they speak better English than uh, than kids now who go to public to the same public school that I went to because we stay longer in learning in our home language. When we switched to English, we had you know we had a good grasp of the of the concept. I I did I, I studied in my home language until grade five. It's only two grades longer than the current situation, but it made a huge difference, you know, because the, the key concepts that I got at grade four in my language you know, I could carry on when I switched to English at grade six. So it's it's critical. There's evidence, you know, uh, that that happened. But because you know, uh, if I, if you talk about about it, like oh, you're reminding us of, of Bantu education. It has poor qualities. When the when the apartheid regime, the Boers uh, implemented the system, they were not hoping that it would benefit us. It was like a happy accident. You know, they thought they were keeping us back by. Uh, not teaching us English because we think we are smarter than them, but it helped us. So it proves the theory that so many scholars are saying that to have a good uh, grasp of a second language, uh, to acquire a second language better, you, have, you need to have a good foundation of your home language. So we have the policy in South Africa. What we need is to educate parents, to, to tell them all the theoretical things that even I didn't know until I started studying during my, my postgraduate as that is about how second about second language acquisition about bilingualism you know about all these things and then once they know they can make the right choices and then we can call on government to improve teaching to bring the resources because they'll say we don't have textbooks in, in all these languages but it can be done you know it can be done so uh, basically that's um what um i'm working towards to, to kind of change because i mean this thing is, is is perpetuating inequality. You know, South Africa has been rated as the most unequal country in the world. Wow. It's the most, and it's not the poorest country in the world. Wow. It's the most unequal country in the world. And we can trace these things to education. We continue to perpetuate. In South Africa, when kids fail, when marks are low in schools, they don't hold them back. They will adjust the marks to keep them going. So you get people at university, first year, first year university who whose English is so, so poor, you know, because they just push them. The government must look good, you know, they must produce the results. But, um, and unfortunately, uh, those people who do poorly at school, they end up doing education because you need a lower, <laughs> the requirements are lower than everything else. So you can see how we're perpetuating this this inequality. So, uh, so we need to change, something's got to change. Otherwise, uh, you know, for poor, for poor and black kids, um, you know, they'll still remain on the margins and only kids who, you know, who, whose parents have money, middle class and white, will continue to, to make it in life while the majority are held back. So, yeah. Thank you for your time, Ms. Jackie. I really appreciate everything you said. I mean, that's the crux of our discussion. And you stressed a whole lot on implementation. And I believe Bukumi also wants to say something about that. And I'm just going to take his final response shortly before uh, I wrap up this episode of the podcast Bukumi uh, solutions it's, you know you know, we all like identifying the challenges and all of that but we also must 
uh, suggest solutions. So, for the Nigerian situation, what do you think? How do we go about the Nigerian situation? The 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 cha- the policy challenges, the language policy challenges in Nigeria, and all of that. How do you think we can go about it? First is implementation. All right. Although the implementation is kind of tricky, given uh, the current situation of loyalty and you know the idea of placing some languages at an ad- advantage over others. But I still feel, for instance, that that is still possible, and. Uh, if only well there is will there is a way i believe and so this thing could actually be some level of agenda setting in that if you would try out this number of languages so extend the reach beyond the three because there are also other languages that are equally powerful and with lots of speaker coming up with uh, pedagogic materials for teaching They've been codified that could also be implemented. So that, for instance, would work. And so if you have that kind of plan that incorporates some language, get them in to the system now, then yeah, there will be room to bring in others and to function in that particular place. But more, most importantly would be to emphasize that the use of these languages does not stand in the way of being proficient in English. Yeah. It, in fact, would support the development of any other language that you want to acquire. And so, cognitively, there is a way being able to think in your mother language helps in understanding concepts and once you have an understanding of the concept, then what is left to be to how do you transmit or transfer or import those context, con- concepts into another language? So if you ask me, I don't know whether I think in English or Yoruba or whether I dream <laughs> in Nigerian Pidgin, but the idea is sometimes it seems the concepts with you you conceive some ideas better in your mother. So like my background now shows the models and there are still sticks in the ground and there is a little basket on those t- trees. If I, to, if I intend to talk about that and the practice, for instance, of how they keep fowl and chicken in that community, then I must make reference to those sticks because that those are places where chickens hide to hatch. So I'm covering it so that you could probably have a look at it. So, so to conceive of that practice, for instance, of animals boundary, or conceive of certain technological innovation, there is a way you would transfer from that wealth of knowledge to whatever other things and I feel we can go on from there. Thank you so much, uh, Scholar Bukumi, for everything you said. I, I feel you you just hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to have these discussions because 
there's a lot of things that contribute to social economic disparities and inequalities in schools it's not only social policies yeah we have social policies we have like i said housing policies healthcare policies and all kinds of policies but language policy is very crucial and we should think about it because students are going to be taught using a medium of instruction and if you are disadvantaged already uh, from the point from the standpoint of language then it's going to be challenging for you i mean students who who's who have school manuals and textbooks written in their mother tongue will definitely perform better most likely than students who need to start learning those learning those language that that textbook language as a as a new language i mean you don't need a prophet or a soothsayer to tell you that there's just some kind of uh, advantage to some group and so uh, since this is what we have we should find ways to provide support for minority groups even as we are we are giving out test credits we are giving out uh, vouchers to students uh, we should also find some way of supplementing the shortcomings of of students who are from particular area it's not like uh, they are not cognitively sound some students might turn out to they might look like they they, they are not sound but it's not like they are not smart they might just be disadvantaged with the language i want to appreciate you for joining and i'm going to close these uh, segments uh with an excerpt from rostein's class and schools and this this excerpt is from chapter five of that book and he said and i quote no society can realistically expect schools alone to abolish inequality if students come to school in unequal circumstances, they will likely do not entirely leave schools with unequal skills and abilities in both cognitive and non-cognitive domains. This is not a reason for educators to throw up their hands. Rather, along with the efforts to improve school practices, educators like students, they try to prepare should exercise their own rights and responsibilities of citizenship to participate in redressing the inequalities with which children come to school. Thank you listeners for being part of this particular episode. See you next time. Bye.